time for the latest in sports debate. The hottest topics, the biggest question marks, answered right now. This is The Critical Eye with Erie Sports Now's Isaac Petcash. All right, on a snowy Friday. It feels like we're saying this every week now, but anyway, we move along, we roll along. It's Erie, Pennsylvania. This is no shame for us. Welcome to the Critical Eye podcast on a Friday, the first episode of the month of February. Wherever you may be listening, however you might be hearing us, inside the Happy 927 studios we are recording, but broadcasting on Spotify, iHeartRadio, as well as Apple Podcasts and wherever else you might get your podcast. Welcome into another episode. We're changing things up a bit. You'll understand in a second. Today was supposed to be our NFL superlative show where we were going to give out the best and the worst of the year. We'll get to that next week, but we have some other business to attend to today and what's a rather serious episode. Isaac Petcash, Joe Von Johnson, the man of the hour, and we'll get to him in just a second. John Lydic joining us as well, our director of sports here at Erie News Now. So, I, uh, Joe Von, you came into the studio today and you're not wearing maroon and gold. <laughs> Uh, big announcement today. Jovan Johnson has been named the head coach of the Northeast Great Pickers High School football program. Congratulations, my friend. I think a, a celebration is in order. What's uh, what's going through your mind, man? I'm elated just to be part of the Northeast community, the school district, and, and uh, get to know the kids and their families and see what they're all about. Um, you know, with great humility, you know, you get humbled by the opportunities to stand in front and lead a group of young men uh, and show them the ropes of what it takes to get to the next level if that's their goal, Um, but also teach them how football lessons are also life lessons to, you know, because if you don't show up to practice and you don't show up to work, those things kind of correlate and the, the the response you get from that. So just teaching them different things and uh, different avenues, and also using my network with coaches um, to get them in front of different college coaches and get them opportunities that they so well deserve. Now, why Northeast? I mean, you and I talked a couple weeks ago, and you were candid. You said that you weren't sure what you wanted to do, right? There were a couple of colleges mm-hmm. looking at you. Um, there were a couple of high schools other than Northeast as well that were pursuing you. Why, why them? What do you see in Northeast? I mean, they have a team right now that could win right now. Um, they have some really good young players. You know, their seventh and eighth grade team um, of guys coming up is going to be very vital to our success going forward. Um, you know, the community out there has embraced me since I've been named the head coach. I've been getting numerous congratulations, and um, they can't wait to meet me and wait to see what I do with the team. Um, a lot of people has my back and giving me support. Uh, the college jobs were there. Um, I think part of it is just the disconnect in communication. Um, you know, I'm, I'm big on communication. If you're not telling me what's going on, uh, I can't read your mind. So I don't know exactly, you know, where the disconnect came in at. Um, but, you know, this is an opportunity for me, an opportunity for me to um, not only grow players, but also grow a staff, you know, guys that haven't reached the pinnacle of success that I've had. Um, but, also believe in trusting me to give them the recipe because I think with the coaches, um, as a head coach, you have to be able, you're only as good as the, the coaches you have on staff. 
and it, and it goes all the way down to the players. If if the coaches aren't good, then the players aren't going to be good, and then you you won't have the product that you so wish for. Um, but the opportunity to to bring so many people along and just show them the ropes. I know a lot, um, have a lot of knowledge. I got a lot of networks. Um, and if we have a question, if if a guy needs some help, I can reach out to some some high power coaches that can give them uh, different tools to add to their tool belts. It's going to be interesting. Uh, and John, you and I cover games on a, on a year to year basis. I mean, you know that. I think it's I think it's fair to say that there are a lot of schools around the area that probably need new head coaches that that aren't going that haven't hired them or have, have yet to hire them. Um, you know, and, and we know that and to, to have you have that opportunity, man, that's, that's great. We hope you can stay with us and at least do some things football wise next season. Obviously we still got this season to get to, but it's exciting for sure. Yeah. I guess, first of all, what are you looking for in a staff as the people of Northeast get ready? Um, my staff is going to be built around guys that have experience. Um, you know, when I interview guys, I'm always going to challenge them with their X's and O's. Uh, but also, you have to be a people person. You have to be able to connect to the community uh, as well as the players. Like if you if you have no people skills, then I don't think being a part of my staff is something that, that I'm going to have. Um, but I want guys that are well rounded, that are ready to put the work in to get after it. Um, you know, it's gonna be it's gonna be some ups and downs, but at the end of the day, you know, you got to keep that positive energy rolling um, and never allow the players to see you in any moments of frustration. We'll get to where we're getting to in this podcast in a second, but I think this segues really well into what we're going to talk about next. Can you take us through the process of of how this coaching hire came to be? I mean, you were pretty open last year Mm -hmm. with the Erie coaching job and Mm -hmm. the fact that you thought you had it. Um, And there were people in the school that told you that you had it. Um, and then, of course, everything goes down, and you're not the head coach. What was the process like this time around, uh, going through everything at Northeast? Yeah, I mean, the process, you know, you typically when you interview for a head coaching position, you know, there, there's a few things that have to happen. First, you got to get your application in and you, your resume and your references and all of those things. That That's the standard. Um, but then in the first interview, it's more of a – kind of get to know the coach type of thing where they're going to ask questions about your character, about what you've accomplished, what your vision is for the program, uh, different things like that. Um, if you are a candidate that they feel good about, that they take to the second interview, that's when you get to show them and share with them different knowledge things that you have. Like for me, it was X's and O's as far as offensive and defensive football Um how would I install a offensive play call or offensive scheme or whatever the case may be? Um, what would I install defensively for uh, the defense and, and how would that look? Um, then you go through practice plans. You go through the rundown of, of what your coaches have done, the assistant guys that you feel like you're going to bring in uh, as part of your staff. Um, you know, it, it's a lot of detail in the second interview, more so than the first. Uh, but, you know, pretty much it's, it's just kind of laying out the law of the land and making sure that you got all your, your I's dotted and, and T's crossed. We're happy for you, man. It's going to be super exciting. We can't wait to see. I remember, again, uh, graduating from GM. Northeast was always one of the teams we dreaded to play. Uh, they've always had a perennial running game. So we'll see. It's going to be a fun one uh, next season. But, of course, we still got some time to play. All right, that transitions over really well into what we're going to talk about. And 
Um, again, like we said, we had planned originally to do the superlative show today, but there is what I would consider one of the biggest stories, I think, uh, not just of the year, but of the decade, potentially, in the NFL. If, if you haven't heard yet, former Miami Dolphin head coach Brian Flores filing a lawsuit on Tuesday against three teams, those three teams being the Miami Dolphins, Denver Broncos, and New York Giants, alleging discrimination and racism regarding interviews with certain clubs. We'll get to the details in a second, but John, I want to start with you because, I mean, you and I follow the news all the time. It's our job. You know, we we see this on a day-to-day basis. Were you not surprised? What was your reaction to this? Because because I don't know if we've ever seen a story. You, You have to know that there is a lot of issues with how the NFL runs things, but we've never really seen somebody come out explicitly and try to hold the NFL's feet to the fire. Well, what would you, would you have? I think the first thing you take away from this is that, you know, it's all, all great. You know, the NFL has maybe taking small steps, but, but I feel like sometimes it was just, Hey, we're going to throw money at it and we're not actually doing real change. You know, I mean the fact that in the last two or three hiring cycles, other than Brian Flores, David Culley, who pretty much seemed like a sitting goat from the time he was hired. Is the NFL really creating equality in its hiring process? I, I mean, I was, take, I was taken back in the fact that there's so many aspects to this, if proven true, in today's world, and not only from the inequality side. If he was truly incentivized to lose games I mean, knowing how sports betting is growing in this league and, and growing around the world, there are some major, major issues that the NFL is now going to have to deal with. So here's the breakdown of what the lawsuit alleges, and we'll talk about the three teams, starting with the Miami Dolphins. As John pointed out, uh, Flores is alleging that between the time he was coaching and the, and the years that he was with the Dolphins, owner Stephen Ross had attempted to incentivize him to tank. For those of you who don't know what tanking is, it's losing games on purpose so you can get better draft positioning. And the accusation by Flores is that Stephen Ross told him on multiple occasions, I will give you $100,000 per time you lose a football game and to incentivize us to get a better draft pick. Now, there's also questions as to who was going to be the draft pick. Remember, that was the draft that the Dolphins drafted Tua Tagovailoa from Alabama. Justin Herbert was also in that draft as well. And, of course, uh, Joe Burrow, who who went number one. But that's just the Dolphins. The allegation with the Broncos is arguably even stronger. Flores alleging that Broncos owner John Elway, uh, in 2019, when he had interviewed with the Broncos for their prospective head coaching job, had essentially come into the interview. He had come in disheveled, in the words of Flores. Uh, visibly, he looked very drunk, and the interview was not taken seriously, and that the whole process was cut short, and Flores wasn't given an ample chance. The big lawsuit, I think, falls with the New York Giants, and the evidence that's come out on that, Flores alleging racism against the Giants, essentially claiming that this year, The Giants interviewed him for purposes only to fulfill the Rooney Rule. Now, the Rooney Rule, of course, as we know it, um, and of course is under the name of former Steeler owner Dan Rooney, is that you must interview at least one 
preferably multiple minority coaching candidates when you attempt to find a new head coach. Now, Flores is alleging that the interview was a sham interview when he talked to Giants owner Stephen Mara a couple of months ago. He has texts from Bill Belichick, Belichick sending them to Flores, but should have Belichick sent them to Brian Dable. Belichick congratulating Flores on getting the job with the Giants. This was before Brian Flores had interviewed. And in reality, Bill Belichick was wanting to congratulate Bill's offensive coordinator, Brian Dable, on the job, a job that eventually became his. So there's a lot to unpack. Joe Vaughn, I want to ask you, um, you played in the league. You've seen some of the things that have gone on. What was your reaction when you heard this news? Uh, You know, I'm not surprised, to say the least. You know, I've seen a number of of minority coaches that are on staffs that have had tremendous success that just don't get an opportunity to interview or an opportunity to, after an interview, become a head coach. Um, The reason behind that, I'm not really certain on, um, but I have seen guys – that have interviewed and been given opportunities that won games like aka brian flores in his first year in miami they weren't so good his second year in miami they were pretty good to to say the least from where they came from and then the third year in miami they went out with a winning season so um I just don't understand what the what the expectation is around football and being a, a black head coach. Um, you know, I was listening to Ryan Clark and and they talked on the the podcast called The Pivot with uh, Hugh Jackson. And then one of the questions that Ryan asked Hugh was, "Do you feel like there's a racial bias around coaches in their interviewing process?" And he said, "Absolutely." I mean, you think about Hugh Jackson. He was successful in, in Oakland. He was successful in Indianapolis. He wasn't so successful in Cleveland, uh, so he understood why he didn't. He got fired from there. But, you know, when you win games and you still get fired, there there has to be at some point a red flag that goes up to, to wonder, you know, what actually is going on. Now, I want to get into the racial side of things in a few minutes, mm-hmm. but while we still have John here, I, I just I think it's important to talk about the coaching resume during this entire selection process. And I want to go through the six teams that have currently selected or expected to select a head coach um, and explain kind of the, not the resume, but but where they're coming from. Kevin O'Connell with the Vikings, not official yet, but expected to join Rams offensive coordinator, never been a head coach. Matt Eberflus with the Chicago Bears, the former Colts defensive coordinator, never been a head coach. He is now a head coach with Chicago. Brian Dable with Giants. I think we can all agree he was great with Josh Allen and company, but he's never been a head coach before. Doesn't have that coaching resume. You can make the argument without Josh Allen, he's not the same success he is today. With the Broncos, Nathaniel Hackett, another offensive coordinator from the Green Bay Packers. Now, that could mean something else down the road. Denver's been talked about to get Aaron Rodgers, but that's one thing. But again, a first-time head coach. Josh McDaniels with the Raiders did have some head coaching experience, but we all know the years that he wasn't with New England and with Denver, that was a train wreck. 
and Doug Peterson, who is really the only head coach with mild success, winning his Super Bowl with New England. Now he's with the Jaguars. So here's where I stand from a talent standpoint. When you look at the pool of, pool of head coaches, you look at the pool of candidates, setting the racism thing aside for just a second, because I think there is a lot to get into. John, this guy to me is the best qualified candidate. He inherited a terrible roster with arguably a subpar quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa, the quarterback that he didn't want, according to reports. A bad offensive line, a bad owner, a cheap general manager, and a so-so talent pool. And he has two winning seasons and he beats the Patriots four times. Am I wrong to think that? I mean, it just seems to me like he arguably was the one of the best, if not the best qualified candidate for yeah. the jobs. I mean, I think he's... He's the best qualified, and I, I think if you look at the other guys, I mean, uh, I think the big question that, that comes for me, and you've heard dialogue from multiple different people, and, and I, I think Jovan may, may be better apt to, to answer this question, but the, the process always comes up of, oh, well, they want somebody they feel comfortable with. They want, well, when does the league maybe step in and say, okay, well, then let's have networking events. I understand there's the there's – the, uh, you know, you have the combine. You have there's there's different, but truly on, on a get to know basis. I mean, that's something I think. You know, when I was thinking about this throughout the week, what are ways can you make these feel these owners? I mean, feel more comfortable and feel like these guys are qualified beyond looking past a piece of paper that they they are leaders of men. Because I think if you look at Brian Flores, he's one of the top leaders of men in the entire National Football League. Well, and here's one of the other arguments, too, is, you know, the argument the Giants made, at least from insiders, was that Brian Flores was too tough of a head coach, too aggressive of a head coach. Well, the two guys, um, the two guys, Jovan, that the Giants have had coaches beforehand were Tom Coughlin and Bill Parcells. I mean, these are guys that were the toughest of the tough, right? The the aggressive guys. Tom Coughlin constantly had to get talkings to that, hey, settle down a little bit. So, I can't help but think that when you talk about the comfortableness of who you want as a comfort as a head coach, that race has to play a part. I mean, in the NFL, to to think of a head coach being comfortable with the players, that's an issue. For one, majority of the players make more money than the head coach. So... If the coach doesn't come in and establish that he's in charge and be tough on those guys, then they're going to run all over them. So you see guys like Bill Parcells and Tom Coughlin, they won because they were tough, not because they were pushovers or soft, so to speak. So Brian, Brian Flores coming in and having a, a tough approach and, and being tough about what he stands for and things of that nature. You want that as a player. You want to know that the coach cares, that the coach is not going to just be easygoing and, and free-flowing with everything that goes on. You want a guy that's going to come in and be tough. So if that's the, the issue, the only issue of why he's not getting hired, that's a problem because you want that type of coach. Most teams, I would think so. You know, the allegations to me, I think there are some that will prove to be true, some 
might be tougher. I think it might be challenging to prove the hundred thousand dollar per mm-hmm. uh, per loss, but you know it could definitely have happened, right? I mean, you, you have general managers all the time that kind of you can see through the lines that they are not wanting to win. They want better draft position. They know the state of their team. But what really sparks my interest is the Giants lawsuit and the text from Bill Belichick. You know, the Rooney rule in principle, of course, makes sense. You want to give everyone, regardless of their race, their ethnicity, their background, if they're qualified, you want to give them the opportunity. But my problem with rules like the Rooney rule, they don't matter if they don't pronounce or allow for change. And we're now sitting in a league where there's one black head coach. So happens to be of the team that created the Rooney rule in the first place. So not to not to say anything against the Steelers, but you almost feel like they feel obligated to have a black head coach because they're the ones that created and precipitated this change. And and it's just it, it's amazing to me as as someone who has not been through the NFL is is not black to, to just think about and realize that how how can you precipitate change or how can you claim there's going to be change when there isn't and it seems like this Rooney rule as as great in principle as it is there needs to be something else something more yeah so, something has to happen i mean I'm, i just look at i look at it from a standpoint of the fact that mike tomlin is the only minority head coach in the nfl in a league that is 75% minority, maybe I mean, more. E- maybe even more. Um, you know, when you think about the environment that a lot of these players that, that play in the NFL that are minorities that they come from, a, a coach that is minority nine times out of ten could have a far better effect. Not to say that other coaches can't, but they relate on a whole different level. And those types of coaches get more respect from the players than, say, some of the other types of coaches. Um, you know, and, and to think about what happened with Cully in, in Houston. I mean, the man, he was there for one season, yeah. didn't have Deshaun Watson. They traded away his number one target receiver. I mean, you don't have any weapons, but they, they were competitive. With Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, and he he never got a chance. He one year and he's out. I mean, something there's something that has to make sense to people when they look at what happens with NFL coaches, the ones who have success that are minority, the ones that don't have success and they get taken away their jobs after a year. That that's a major issue. It it has to be. These are the tough conversations that a lot of people don't want to talk about. And Brian Flores understood what he was up against when he decided to partake in these these allegations. That's what they are at the present moment until proven true. Um, but he he understood what was what he was up against. So now, if if any of this stuff comes to be true. The NFL really has some serious problems, and they're going to have to do something. And, and again, like like John said when he was here, there it's not going to be about just throwing money at it. 
because that's a lot of time that is what happens in the NFL. If there's an issue, they throw money at it because they're a billion dollar industry. They can they can shut people up by just giving them money. Yeah, and that that's not going to happen in this case. Well, I think we you've already found out Flores isn't in it for the cash. You know, he's appeared on CBS this morning. He's admitted in his statement in the lawsuit that he understands this could potentially be the end of his coaching career as he knows it, even though the Texans are, ironically, having him in consideration for the job. Not just David Culley, by the way. Remember Steve Wilkes in Arizona uh, three years ago, right? I mean, he has Josh Rosen as his quarterback, uh, but, you know, Rosen's not a peculiar talent. He has no weapons, everything else thrown to the wind, and it was almost – as if the Cardinals said halfway through the season, we're going to bring in Kyler Murray and we're going to bring in Cliff Kingsbury and nothing you can do is going to stop it. Here's my question. I've thought about this as, as if this has gone on. The league is predominantly minority, right? Mm-hmm. 75, maybe 80, 80% of the league is black. So why is it that owners, GMs, administration is okay with that, but more timid of hiring a black coach? <laughs> That's a good question. I mean, when you think about you think about modern systemic racism and, and how slavery was back in the day, a lot of these owners are old who were a part of that cycle. So there has been a, a lot of change that has happened over the years from slavery to where we are today. But that doesn't mean that there's not still more work to be done. A lot of these owners look at the players as, like, like for example, with the LeBron situation with the reporter who told him to shut up and dribble. This is what the owners believe. Like, the players are not to go against anything that the owners or the team is is trying to accomplish. Yeah for the greater good or bring awareness to anything other than winning football games. So they're basically told, you shut up and play and we'll pay you and, and make sure that your family's all taken care of. Colin Kaepernick stood up for issues surrounding racism and decided to take a knee, had a bunch of guys following his footsteps because they all believe it. But there were also those black athletes who were afraid to take a stand because they didn't want to lose the opportunity to feed their families. And that's coming from the top. That's not something that is, you know, being taught to them. That's something that they knew that the owner up top could potentially take their job away and they will lose the opportunity to feed their families. That that's, that's how you can just tell that there is still issues that surround race in the national football league. I think it's interesting how, you know, the the Colin Kaepernick situation, um, be it as it may, whether you're on one side or another, what happened to it? Well, it went away fairly quietly, right? I mean, for a year and a half or so, there was bombastic support behind it. But, you know, nowadays the NFL said their piece and, and, and now now it's gone. And so is he. Correct. You know, it. I think... The tough part about this is, you know, you look at the lawsuit and Jovan, you know, I want to believe that this is going to go through and that this is going to have some impact, but I don't know if I can believe it uh, just because of the history of, of again, again, the NFL and the settlement. I mean, do you have confidence 
as a former athlete yourself, that this lawsuit will change anything? I mean, uh, that's a tough question because I I don't know if it'll change anything, but I I think they will kind of put some parameters in place that you know makes it seem as if they're going to start to give minority coaches more of an opportunity, aka like the Rooney Rule. Maybe they make some some more effects like that, but I just don't think it's going to do anything. I mean, the NFL is is built around what they believe in, and it's not going to change much. I mean, they're going to make some tweaks to get people happy to make people happy, but I don't think they're going to drastically change and make more exceptions for minorities. What do you think has to change? I mean, I think if if you're talking about hiring head coaches that are highly qualified, then you have to hire the best candidate. And in the the NFL openings that are are current right now that have just hired head coaches, did they really hire the best candidate or did they hire a guy who the owner and GM could still control and they can manipulate into doing what they want and just continue to go forward. And and he can have those three or four buffer years of, of not being successful. And then they'll say, well, he, he, he had a chance or, you know, at some point we got to start hiring the, the guy who's the most qualified, no matter if he's black, white or indifferent. And, you know, like you got, Eric Bell, uh, Bien-Ami in Kansas City. I mean, everybody knows that he's the offensive coordinator, and that Patrick Mahomes has been to four AFC championships yeah. under his watch, yeah. and won a Super Bowl and been to multiple Super Bowls. But whenever the conversation comes up about Bien-Ami, people say that Andy Reid calls the plays. So I mean, but then it, when a when a situation for example, in the, the Bengals game, when they go for it right before the half and they don't get it, that comes back to the enemy, not Andy Reid. So who's really calling the plays or or who's taking the blame? Like, it, it has to be either one way or the other. Like, you can't say one thing and then when something doesn't go right, you say something different. So, I mean, is it going to change anything? I'm not really certain. I don't believe that it is. But I do think they're going to do things to to just try to make people happy so that it kind of gets swept under the rug. So there's there's one individual in particular in the league that I think has some pool who is black. And, and this individual has yet, to my knowledge and to our knowledge, to come out with any statement or, or anything of that nature. That's Mike Tomlin. Mm-hmm. Um, he is the only black head coach in the league. He is on a team that is going to give him longevity. I mean, I don't think we see the Pittsburgh Steelers ever firing Tomlin unless there's some catastrophic failure. Uh, you played under him. Mm-hmm. Do you see Mike Tomlin, I think maybe maybe one of very few uh, black men in the NFL who have some leverage, do you see him potentially backing Flores in this, knowing his job security and knowing the fact that it's very unlikely in his instance that he will be ousted from his job i don't uh knowing mike t i don't i don't think that he's going to get involved um so to speak i mean what he could do and given the the situation that he's currently in being that he's the only black head coach in the national football league is he can give other minority coaches an opportunity when you're looking for a offensive coordinator 
a defensive coordinator or offensive line coach, whatever the case may be. If you know that there's a qualified minority that can come in and get the job done, then you could put someone else of minority in a position of success to be able to, at some point, maybe be the next Mike Tomlin. Yeah. You know, but right now that hasn't happened. So, you know, I I know Mike T and I don't think he's going to get involved um, verbally about the Flores case and things of that nature, uh, knowing that he's not going to lose his job if he did. I just don't think he's going to put that type of, of pressure and, and attention on himself. So my question now, I think it, it revolves around the other part of the game, the the lower levels of football. Um, you now being a head coach, you mm-hmm. taking over a program and, and seeing what, um, how that how that comes together. Do young athletes put much stock into what they're seeing now? I mean, we everybody and their mother who's a football fan has seen these has saw this lawsuit. I mean, this this lawsuit overshadowed the retirement of Tom Brady. I mean, the greatest quarterback of all time calling mm-hmm. it a career, and nobody is talking about that today. It's all about the lawsuit. Do do young kids and young athletes, specifically black athletes, look at this situation in your mind and and take into account what's going on and and consider maybe their future off of that? Because I think I think it's fair to argue that um, as somebody who is a you know, young athlete, somebody who is trying to make it to the NFL, you know, y- you look at the color of your skin and you think to yourself, well, if I want to be a player, great. But if I'm not one of the 1% and I want to be a coach, there's no backup plan. Mm-hmm. I mean, do, do young kids in your mind take this into account? I think they do. I think they know what's going on. I mean, they see things like this Brian Flores case. They see things that come across the the national screen and media and and all of that. All of this stuff is on TV. So they know, you know, they're aware to it. It's not like they're blind and they don't see it. Um, You know, it it puts them in a situation where they have to potentially choose careers that they they know that in their heart they don't want to do. There's going to be a ton of, of minority coaches that come after me and before me or whatever that sees that there's an opportunity to do it but understanding that there's also the back end of it where they don't get the opportunity that they that they deserve so you know I, I kind of seen it happen I've been a part of it I've, I've I've seen so many different things in interviews and stuff of that nature um, for example the Erie High situation with me like that was a a situation where people wanted one person, but the board wanted somebody else. And for whatever reason, instead of saying, okay, we're just going to go with this guy, they did things that were intentional to insult my intelligence, which I was not okay with. That's why I was far more open about the situation because of, of how they try to do me. And I'm not that guy. I'm not the one that's going to bite my tongue um, in the midst of anybody's being anybody's fool. So, you know, the fact that they tried to insult my intelligence is is why I actually spoke about it. Um, but these kids, they see this stuff like this isn't this is open knowledge. Like they, they see this stuff all the time. So if I'm a black kid growing up in an inner city and I'm playing and I'm giving it my all for 
all these different coaches, and I get the opportunity to to be a coach at some point. Are they going to pursue that opportunity, or are they going to turn it down because they think they're not going to have a, get, be given a fair opportunity? I mean, that, that's where we are right now. It's a good question. Um, and, and like you said, the trickle-down effect in any sport, really. Mm-hmm. I mean, we saw earlier in hockey, not necessarily a race thing, but the Chicago Blackhawks issue, and you saw participation in hockey for a second decrease. Um, you know, the NBA, I think, has made tremendous strides in, in being more diverse and, and racially sensitive. Um, saw an owner get fired because of that a few years back. For Brian Flores' sake, let's let's play the hypothetical role, play the hypothetical game that, that these lawsuits, they do go through. Let's say mm-hmm. he does win in certain cases. Even in the best case scenario for Flores, is this the end of his coaching career in your mind? Does in the, he get in, another, in the NFL? In the NFL, I, I think nobody's going to give him a chance. No one. Even even if he wins the cases or, or he doesn't win. I just don't – I don't think – that there's going to be a owner or GM that says, hey, let's bring Brian Flores in for an interview because of the attention that's going to potentially come out of all of it. You know, there's a lot of things that have happened in the NFL, just like John Gruden and and the email situation and and all that. There's a lot of stuff that that has happened that that will come out and – Certain owners are not going to want to deal with Brian, Brian Flores on any level. Maybe he'll be a college head coach and and you know star there like a lot of the uh, the other NFL coaches that haven't that had success that aren't getting opportunities like Hugh Jackson are now starting to revert to. It's very interesting. We talk when we speak on this show about the political nature of the National Football League. And a lot of the time, the three of us, Joe Lineski not here today, but I think a lot of us agree on a majority basis. The NFL is based around money, right? It's a business. Yeah. It's exciting. But why did they put in a seventh playoff seed? Pittsburgh and Philadelphia weren't going to the Super Bowl this year, but it was an extra game for money. Uh, mm-hmm. Why did they expand the draft? Why is the Super Bowl now a Super Bowl week instead of Super Bowl Sunday only, right? It's, it's for monetary purposes. Amazon Prime going to get its Thursday night football game for money. My final take on this is that this is an example, if nothing higher, that money rules the NFL. Mm -hmm. I mean, you look at the situation with Brian Flores and and even in his lawsuit, right? The Dolphins, he alleges, I'll pay you $100,000 so that I can have as much, you know, draft capital as I want. I'll just shell out money to you. And when you look at the teams that haven't hired Flores, and and listen, I think maybe one or two of those, right? You can make the argument that Doug Peterson of the Jaguars makes sense, won a quarterback with, won a Super Bowl rather, with Nick Foles. And you could say maybe one of the offensive coordinators uh, could potentially be a a solid head coach. But to me, I look at this ownership, uh, the ownership groups, and I think these, uh, all the teams in the NFL, at the end of the year, who need a new head coach? You need a new head coach for the most part because they were not a good team the year before. The Miami Dolphins being the only exception, right? You tank, you're bad, you have a rough year. Obviously, the Raiders situation is different as well, but you need to bring in a new head coach because you need a change of direction, a change of tune. And for as much as owners and general managers, and even and more, most so players, 
talk about the art of wanting to win and wanting to win the Super Bowl and wanting to hoist the Lombardi. It's every little kid, little athlete's dream is to get to be a pro football player and hoist that trophy. Then you bring in guys that have some qualifications, but you left more on the table. And it leads you to believe what's the only answer. Well, it's a money thing. You don't, you'd, you'd, rather, you'd rather have someone who you can control, somebody who you can maybe be cheap around, somebody who you can uh, force to do certain things so it benefits your pocketbook. I don't necessarily think Brian Flores, race aside, I don't necessarily think Brian Flores was going to be the head coach to accept cheap, to accept mediocre. He didn't with Miami. They had two winning seasons. They beat Bill Belichick four out of six times they played him. And so as it, from my perspective, the owner of all the teams that were there didn't want to have to shell out the money, and they didn't want to have to be the big spenders. Who succeeds now in the NFL? Well, the teams in the Super Bowl. The L.A. Rams. You look at them. Sean McVay. I want this and this and this and this. They gave it to him, and now they're successful. I mean, is that fair to say, Joe Vaughn, that a large part of this was, you know, I want money and I want control as opposed to I want winning? Yeah, I mean, the NFL and, and the, the monetary aspect of it is, is always going to overshadow, you know, all the other things that, that happen. And, you know, as to the point of Sean McVay, Sean McVay went out, he told them deliberately, they allowed the head coach to get what he wanted. He got the players he wanted. He got everything that he wanted, and they ended up in a Super Bowl. Because he know nobody knows the team better than the head coach. He knows what pieces to the puzzle that need to be implemented in order for them to be successful. And he got that, and now they're in a Super Bowl. So to Brian Flores, when he told them that he did not want Tua Tungvaloa, and they still drafted him, that was a direct effect of ownership saying, you know what, your opinion of what direction you want to go with the program or organization is not important as to what we wanted, and, where we and wanted really, to go. And really quickly, too, and I'll, I'll let you finish your point, but imagine even if you allow Brian Flores to have some control in the Dolphins draft Justin Herbert, what's the narrative now? They might be in the Super Bowl at this point. Exactly. That I mean that that's that's the the other end of the spectrum is if he gets who he wants. I mean nobody nobody to this point would know who he wanted or what he who he wanted to draft. But if he gets the quarterback that he wants, that could honestly in a heartbeat change the direction of the organization. If they draft Justin Herbert over Tua Tagovailoa, that is a night and day change in the success of the Miami Dolphins in their organization. And Brian Flores may just be playing in the Super Bowl. I mean, obviously he would have had to beat, you know, the Buffalo Bills and, and their successful run or whatever, but it could have been done. But, you know, it's, it's one of those things. As a minority head coach, and, and, I, and I listen to podcasts and things of that nature, and I, and I watch Hugh Jackson talk about his coaching career in Cleveland, and he said – at no point was he able to have input in the guys that they drafted so that he, because he, as a head coach, you would think he would have some sort of say in, you know, what players he wanted and, and where they wanted to go with the program or yeah. organization. 
he never had an opportunity to tell them who he wanted to draft. And that's that's part of the problem. It's another huge story, too. I mean, Hugh Jackson, like you said, is a big part of it, that whole debacle with the Cleveland Browns. And, and Jimmy Haslam has said, you know, I take full responsibility for – for what I did, and Hugh didn't live up to any of that. Well, it's easy as an owner to to take to take responsibility, quote unquote. You're still there, right? You're still the yeah, person that's in that position anywhere. of power. Um, you know. Uh, lastly, Jovan, I think we both agree that this lawsuit is going to have, I think, minimal impact. I mean, maybe some things will be found to be true, but then again. You know, when it comes to the money game and the power game, you know, it's Brian Flores, an ex-coach against a bunch of owners. So what what do you think? You talked a bit about this earlier, but as an overarching spectrum, what has to change? What has to be the driving force? Is it a new rule? Is it new standards? Is it a flip, to, flip of the script? Is it a player revolution? H- how do we allow, regardless of race, for the best coach to be picked in each each situation? It, I mean, it's really tough, honestly. It's going to be tough to to kind of navigate through just because there's going to be a number of times where it's a judgment thing. It, it's who you feel comfortable with. Like, at the end of the day, you know, you could make all the excuses in the world, a guy, oh, this guy's not a good interviewer, or this guy... Uh, you know, for whatever reason, we don't feel comfortable with. Whatever the case is, it, it's just going to be a tough situation to say, all right, we want this guy over this guy. Like, what what do you actually do to make those determining factors? Like, what is going to be the determining factor, whether you go with a black head coach or white head coach or, or indifferent, whatever. You know, the determining factors are going to be hard to navigate through. I mean, you could put a rule in place that says, you know, you have to interview X, Y, and Z number of, of minority coaches, but that doesn't mean they're going to end up with the job. You could interview all of the coaches in the world that are minority, and still you could have one candidate of a different race, and, and they still not get the job. I mean, it's, it's ultimately going to come down to the owners and them being uncomfortable or comfortable being uncomfortable, like getting out of their comfort zone to do something different and then see what happens if they actually give those guys an opportunity. I think it's hilarious in the NFL where players are constantly asked to be uncomfortable, right, to be in situations, whether it's on the field and you're in a tough spot where you could get hurt and you could have your life alter or you're in front of uh, different media events or different spectacles, and you're constantly supposed to be uncomfortable and constantly supposed to be on your best behavior. And the people above you, unfortunately, don't have that same standard. Uh, good talk. Again, Jovan, man, congrats. I, I'm super happy for you. Uh, it's it's going to be an exciting season. I'm sure you've already got the kids running wind sprints uh, in the gym <laughs> not, right now. Not just yet, but we're, we're definitely getting around to it real yeah, soon. Give it a week, right? <laughs> yeah, probably not even a week, probably After tomorrow. the Super Bowl. Yes. So, Northeast football team, you have about, I don't know. Ten days. Se- ten days of more freedom, <laughs> and then it becomes workaholic. But uh, you'll you'll enjoy it, though, for sure. All right. Next week, we're going to do our NFL superlatives. Joe Vaughn, Joe, and I are going to give out the awards for best of the year, the awards for worst of the year, and some awards 
we just make up because we think they're fun. And we'll also have a little bit of a Super Bowl preview as well. Late next week are Super Bowl predictions. Who's taking home the title? The Bengals or the Rams? Just the game you predicted, right? I have all that next week. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your Friday. See you next week.